In today's episode, we're talking about the realities and practicalities of being a freelancer with a disabled child. Welcome to JFGI with the two Lauras. This is the podcast where we help social media freelancers to build a profitable business, which not only funds your lifestyle and supports your family, it's also actually a joy to work in because otherwise we just don't see the point. In today's episode, I am putting myself in the hands of Laura Davis. She's going to interview me and I won't lie, I'm terrified. So I'm handing over the reins to you. Let's do this. After this episode, you might still have questions and we'd love to help answer those. So you can head over to our free Facebook group, the Social Media Managers Hub. So just search that in Facebook or you can go to thesocialmediamanagershub.com. You just need to pop your email address in the request to join and we'll let you in as soon as you can. Or if you wanted a more dedicated area to talk to other SEN parents, we have a specific SEN parents chat within the inner hub. So do come and find us there that's the two lauras.com forward slash inner hyphen hub okay let's kind of set the scene and like, obviously I know about William he's a regularly attends our team meetings he doesn't have much input <laughs> no he keeps our secrets <laughs> so but obviously lots of people listening might not even know that you've got a disabled child so do you want to tell us a little bit more about William yeah, do you want me to go right back to the beginning? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Let's get... Okay, it was a cold and stormy night. Let's get it all out. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't. I don't actually remember what the weather was like at all. So William was born prematurely because he stopped moving when I was pregnant. And shortly after his birth, we discovered that he had brain damage. So he is officially classed as having cerebral palsy. But if you don't know what that is, it basically means that you have brain damage that has been caused before you're the age of two. So he and there's like a scale of cerebral palsy that goes from one to five, five being the worst. William is a five. So that means that he there's way more things than that he can't do than there are things he can do. So he like can't sit, can't stand, can't walk, he can't talk. So there's lots of different limitations that obviously he has in his life. But I just want to start this off by saying, if you've ever seen William on my stories, you will know that he is one of the happiest children that there is on the planet. He's always happy and laughing. And so none of those things kind of hold him back from having a lovely life. But obviously they do have an impact on our lives because like when you were pregnant, did anyone ever mention to you that you might end up with a baby that's disabled? No. Well, it was slightly different to me because I used to, interestingly, I used to work for Scope, which is the charity for people with Mm. cerebral palsy. So I was very aware of cerebral palsy. I was very aware that you have children with cerebral palsy and a lot of my team used to go and work specifically with parents who had got children who were just diagnosed with cerebral palsy so I it was kind of a little bit probably on my radar more than the the average person however but yeah it's not really on your the forefront of your mind no no and so when he was born like it was a massive shock to me I at that point had my own business I had a recruitment agency we had just like gone into the recession or come out of the recession. And so I had lost most of my work anyway. Most of my clients weren't hiring. So it was a great time to have a baby <laughs> and have a bit of time off <laughs> from not working for various reasons, not just because of William's disability. I closed that agency shortly after he was born. The recession, him being disabled, me not being able to go back to work, me realizing that actually I absolutely hated working in recruitment, all of those <laughs> things combined. <laughs> made me go actually like I'm not going to do this anymore so that was like right back in like 2009 when he was born 
And various things happened since then that have obviously led me to this point now working with you. And social media played a part from pretty much day one to right now. So it's like if Zuckerberg hadn't created Facebook, well, we wouldn't be here anyway because we wouldn't be social media managers, but him creating that platform had such a massive impact on me when I had William because I wasn't expecting to have a disabled child and I didn't know anyone else who had one. And my best friend had been pregnant with me at the same time. We both had babies, but we were both having very different journeys shortly after Mm. that. And I didn't know anyone else who was having the same path as me. And like my local like social workers and professionals and whatnot, the people they were introducing me to had children who are much older than William, who are probably like the age that William is now. And seeing a child of William's age now when you've just had a baby is absolutely terrifying. Yeah. So I turned to Facebook and Facebook basically saved us because there was all of these different places that I could go into on Facebook where I could find other people who were in the same situation as me. It takes you back to the the kind of the raw, the fundamentals of social media, isn't it? In terms of it was about about bringing your network closer. It's not just about marketing, guys. (laughs) It's about having, yeah, building your network, but not relying Mm. on your doorstep, isn't it? And it's about, and now we, I think we totally take that for granted. Like I'm forever joining Facebook groups about various issues or things to to find people who have that common goal. And I think we totally take that for granted, but back then it would have been huge. Yeah. I literally like, I've got friends who I've been friends with on Facebook for the last 14 years who I've never met. Mm. but I could tell you everything about their family and their children and stuff because I've met them on social and we've kind of been through all of the ups and downs of having children like William together. And I think that is just, it's had such a massive impact on me. And has it always been like a positive place for you, social media? 100% no. Like, <laughs> so you were going to say 100% <laughs> yes and I was like, oh, no. No, no. I mean, most of the time it's been amazing for me. I've done amazing things thanks to social media. You know, I raised a lot of money to be able to adapt our house so it was wheelchair friendly for William. I was invited onto Loose Women. I persuaded Gatwick Met Simon Cowell. To- I met Simon Cowell, who actually made William cry, by the way. William didn't used to like singing, and Simon Cowell sang to him. They bright white teeth. Then he asked him if he wanted to go in his helicopter, and then cried because he didn't actually take him in his helicopter. So Simon Cowell's not actually that nice of a guy. And also, he looks like a waxwork, and this is like 10 years ago, so he probably looks even more like one now. Anyway, we go off on a tangent. (laughs) But it's done amazing things for me, but there was downsides like I've used Facebook mostly for campaigning for two major things for William well not just for William for disabled people you know in general one of them was to get what is called an eagle hoist at Gatwick Airport which is like this hoist that allows people who are wheelchair users to be hoisted out of their chair and into a seat on an airplane so I used social media to campaign for that Gatwick Airport refused to buy any I used Facebook started a petition they then bought two just to shut me up. <laughs> and I also used to use Facebook to campaign for changing places toilets, which are toilets for severely disabled people. So they've got a hoist and a changing table so they don't have to lie on the floor. And that is where I ran into so much negativity and so many, like the dark side of Facebook. And I won't go into like the really dark stuff, but there was this one time where I had an email come like literally into my personal email from this lady who told me that children like William should be euthanized at birth. 
because then we wouldn't have to have change in places toilets. I mean, imagine A, thinking that, B, going out of your way to find an email address to tell somebody that. And then I found out that she was actually a retired GP. Oh, So that was great. Uh, But I did call the police on her. She got a caution. So yeah, it can be, and we all know now that it can be really negative, but I would say apart from that and some of the other dark things that I've seen, it's mostly positive for me. And I, and you do this too, we're very good at blocking out the negativity. We mute people, we'll block people, and we will very much curate what we're seeing in our feeds. And I think I've learned that more and more and more over the years from seeing negativity. You know, the functionalities have allowed us to do that. Yeah, exactly. Back in the day. Back in the day. There was no mute. There was, yeah. So a lot of that kind of muting had to be you having the ability to be able to turn away and turn off to things. And that's really hard for me. Yeah, yeah, same, same. (laughs) Okay, so then you set up your own business. What is it about going, why would you have not considered going back into employment? What was it that was kind of, I know you'd always had businesses, but Mm. just generally speaking, what was it that made you think, well, I'm not going to do that? Like big cross, I'm not going to get a job. Well, I actually did try. Oh, did you? I did try to get a job. No one wanted you? Literally, no one wanted me because I had a child who at the time, there was only one nursery in my area who would have him. They would have him for three hours a day. So like, who's going to employ someone for three hours a day anyway? Plus he had to have so much time off because there was constant appointments and therapy and this, that and the other. So literally no one would employ me. And I, to be fair, I didn't try that hard, but (laughs) you know, I did try, I did apply for a few jobs and in the end thought, oh, this is completely pointless. And so I did what all new mums do got a hobby like why do we all get these really random hobbies and mm-hmm. I started cake decorating just like you did mm-hmm. and yeah and at the time I thought actually there's probably some money in this so I set up a cake decorating business I would sell cakes wedding cakes all of that stuff and then I started teaching people to do the same and I had like a cake decorating school in my kitchen um, and all of that came because of social media because I was putting photos on social media it was all Facebook at the time I never really used Instagram at all it was all Facebook And I very quickly realized that this worked really well around William because I could pick and choose when I would do these classes. But if William then got ill, I then had to cancel everything, lose all that money. And I realized that I actually hated cleaning up after people and loved the marketing side of it more than the actual decorating of the cakes thing. So it's like, well, how can I use my like years and years worth of marketing experience and my love of social media without cakes to work around my child and make some money. And which is why I ended up doing social media because it does work really well around William. I can work from wherever I want in the world. I, you know, whether it's in my house, whether it's on holiday, whether it's sitting in a hospital waiting room or like next month, William's going to have an operation. So I'll have my phone and I'll be sitting at his bedside and I can do that from wherever I want to be. And if he's ill or if he's off school, if it's school holidays, I can still do it because I don't have to leave him. I don't have to have anyone come and join me. And if I can't do it at that particular moment because of his needs, I can do it later in the day. And I don't see those things as like negative or failures that I might have to pick up and do some work in the evening because I've not been able to do it during the day because the success is the fact that I've been able to be with him during the day. Yeah. And it's so obviously from a going freelance and having your freelance business or being self-employed for you, the it sounds like the fundamental motivation for that is the flexibility. It's the, the ability to be able to do what you need to do 
but also you can work around that, especially when it's social media. You don't have to be doing something a certain time at a certain day. So it is a job that can lean to being more flexible. Yeah. But are there any challenges? Are there any downsides of being freelance? Well, there's the obvious like financial downside that you don't have this the stability and the like sick maternity pay. pay and all of that stuff. Not that I ever plan to have another child, but you know, you don't have all of that sick pay and stuff. But equally, I don't have to justify every time that I get William's appointments through, I don't have to try and book time off to go to these appointments. And having been self-employed for this time, there's no way I could ever go back and be employed and have to always justify, sorry, I'm 10 minutes late, the school bus was late, all of that sort of stuff. You know, Mm. I just couldn't do it now. So yeah, the flexibility is brilliant. And the fact that I just like being your own boss and having your own rules that work around your own lifestyle and your own family, I think it's like there's there's nothing better than that. My husband is also self-employed. And so the downsides for us mostly come in the school holidays because he has to be off work as well so that we can, because William is kind of like a two-person care at the moment, really. Uh, so we both need to be at home. So he doesn't get paid when he doesn't work because he's a carpenter. He can't really work that much um, from home. So it does have an impact that way. But I think the the positives far outweigh the negatives. So you touched on there about the summer holidays, like, and people listening obviously may have children with physical disabilities and be thinking, well, how the hell do you do it? Because let's face it, the kids are off more than, it feels like more than they're in school. Like, I appreciate that isn't the case, but it's like, as soon as you've got over a holiday, there's another one brewing. How do you practically get through it? Well, we don't have any like care or anything like that or any respite or anything. So it literally is just me and my husband who who deal with it. But that's not by choice. It, it, no, it's not by choice. No. You know, like you'd like respite. 100%. Yeah. If anyone wants to come and work for me, yeah. feel free. I think that should be acknowledged <laughs> that it's not like you're sat yeah. here going, I don't need it. It's the, the, no. the system is bit, a bit, has yeah, been a bit totally. broken. Like we have been having, so as a parent of a disabled child, you can get like what they call direct payments. Um, whereby you they give you the money and you can pay for care and we've been having the money for all this time but we don't have anyone to pay for the care so we've got like a bank of money that we're going to need to give back to the council at some point because we can't spend it it's impossible so that because there just aren't carers out there so no it's not but it's not through choice so I think Kev and I have kind of got into quite a good routine that really did start mm. in lockdown when we had no choice um, and so in lockdown we would split our days and like Kev would work in the morning, I would work in the afternoon or we'd swap um, and whatnot. And it's not quite as rigid anymore. It's much harder to get him out of his garage um, playing with his bikes. But we do have this routine whereby if I need to work, he will look after William. He'll go like go in the hot tub or go for a walk or, you know, um, watch a movie or whatever. And vice versa, if he needs to work, then I will do the same. But nine times out of 10, we're kind of like doing everything together and working in small pockets of time. And I've given up the, you know, fantasy of having a whole day to work in the school holidays because I know it's never going to happen. And yeah, I would get much more work done if I did have a whole day, but I don't. So I just work when I can. And I am happy to work on evenings. I'm happy to work in small periods of time. William have a lie-in because he's a teenager. So he probably won't get up to like 10 o'clock or whatever nice. on a school day. Uh, sorry, on a summer holiday. And so I will get up at seven, eight, whatever. And I'll work in, in the morning until he gets up. And it's just, it's identifying those small pockets of time. And I am very much guilty in the past of being like, I haven't got any time and then realizing I have, but I'm just wasting it watching Selling Sunset or scrolling through Instagram. So I just kind of try and reclaim that time and use it better. And in terms of like, obviously I'm sure there are massive drawbacks from a 
having you and Kev being self-employed in terms of there are more financial risks, I guess, in terms of both being self-employed. But the, the benefit to that is that you can try and work through the summer holidays. Have you got any advice for people who don't have that? Maybe their other half is employed and therefore doesn't have that level of annual leave. Is there anything or people you know that you can kind of share ways in which, you know, I'm guessing trying to get into the get the system to help with respite and care would be useful but I appreciate that's a challenge probably across the country yeah I expect it probably is but yeah but well keep hammering at the social worker to give you help it would be my first port call but I think it's about having boundaries with your clients like my clients all know about William I would never take on a client who doesn't know that he exists who doesn't know the limitations that causes me um like I don't really market my business anymore, but when I did, William would feature in my posts because I don't want people to come along and then be like, oh, you've got a disabled child. You know, I, I don't want that to be a shock to people, not just because I want them to know, but also it's a really awkward <laughs> conversation to have when somebody's like, oh, have you got any children? Yeah, he's disabled. Like it kind of brings a downer, <laughs> you know, so I kind of want people to know that beforehand. But I have those boundaries. So if a client said to me, I need you to be available from 10 till 2 every day. No, I'm a freelancer. I work when I work. Well, that and that goes across the board, whether you've got a disabled child or not. 100%. The whole point of being freelance yeah. is that you're, you're free to lance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, no. is that where it comes from? <laughs> you're free <No>. to lance. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. If anyone knows where that does come from, please let us know. <laughs> but no, for me, it's about boundaries. So... I would make sure that your clients know what they can expect from you, like how long your turnaround time is, for example, if they um, need things changing or they need quick posts, they need to know like how quick can you be or how slow can you be or whatever. And if so, for example, if in the school holidays, you do the vast majority of your work in the evening, there's no shame in your client knowing that because what difference does it make to them when you're in the scheduler? You don't need to be in the scheduler at the same time that they're in their office as long as the work is being done. And so I think it's just all about being open and honest and having those boundaries and not being afraid to kind of just remind them, look, it's school holidays. I'm caring. Your work will be done. Yeah. And that, I think that goes across the board, doesn't it? That's, you know, having mm. being open and honest with your client of your situation, whatever that situation may be, you know, if you're having a baby, if you're ill, if you you don't have to be showing up at a certain time every day for your clients, unless obviously it's a a scheduled in meeting or what have you so yeah. to a degree you don't have to be like it's not like when you've got you're you're an employee and you have to ring up every day and say I'm, I'm ill today I'm not coming in you obviously you don't have to do that you're yeah. not accountable in that in that no. way but what you don't want to do is your it, anything to be a shock to your client so they ring you and you've got kids screaming in the school holidays and you're just like oh hang on and you know and they're like what is it I'm like you know it just changes the vibe yeah, and totally but if you know like I'm forever like with my clients like I meet with them when I'm scheduling the next meeting I'll always make a point of saying well can we do it here because I've got the school holidays or you know I constantly cop my children constantly come into conversation not in a really irritating way and I'm you know talking about them all the time like I don't because I don't, but <laughs> it's more that I'm moaning about them. Like, I <laughs> yeah. make sure that they are aware of it and they always have been. And they, mm. and I think that kind of, and as long as they know that at the end of the day, the job gets done and you keep, and we've talked about this on previous podcasts, you keep reminding them. You have to keep reminding them. The job is done. The job has done well. We are great. I am brilliant. <laughs> 
these are yeah. the results you're getting because then it kind of doesn't matter it doesn't matter if you're scheduling yeah. on an evening and in fact like when I started and I had the three kids were very tiny I did most of my work on an evening I don't think the clients probably even knew no no I think though what you're saying about like being honest with your client I think you do need you need to always put that client first in terms of your messaging yeah. if you like so for example like when I I remember one time William was in hospital and I was like, I would always put things on my Facebook to tell my, you know, like my friends and family that William was in hospital. And I was like, oh, what if my client sees it? I better tell them first, because what would be worse than that? You know, the client, me telling the client, William's in hospital. Don't worry, I've got everything covered. Or then then seeing like an Instagram story or whatever and going, oh my God, does that mean my job's not going to get done? You know, so like just keeping them in the loop constantly before you update your whole audience, I think is really important. Yeah, that is a good point. And like the negative sides, like we see this sometimes, don't we? Where social media managers will put stories up about how stressed they are and they can't think of content ideas and all of that stuff. And just think about how does this make you look? You don't want to look like you can't cope. Because, you know, anyone with a disabled parent, with a disabled child, like as much as we think we can't cope, we have managed to get this far. We can bloody well cope. And so let's let our clients never have that thought that we're not coping. Yeah. But we're doing it. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's the perception people have on your social media. And I think we do forget that. How is this being perceived by someone who doesn't know me? You know, I do this all the time. I waffle away on my stories about crap. And I kind of think, God, if someone's literally just rocked up at my page, like in the last week, they must be thinking, <laughs> what are we talking about? Fly yeah, land day. <laughs> fly land day. Whatever else I moan about. Sorting my socks on Sunday, doing my laundry. You know, they must be thinking. Yeah, if they've tuned in for the marketing content and they're getting get that, that. Maybe once a month. <laughs> that would be a good month. Yeah, so just think about that. Think, how would this be perceived by someone who doesn't really know me or maybe doesn't have the context because they haven't followed you for ages? So another thing that I think always think is really interesting when I talk with you, and I don't think people will appreciate this, so I wanted to kind of bring it up, is that I think my children, I've got a 13-year-old as the eldest, so I think in five years' time he could be at university. Like I said, that's one down, two to go. Or moved out or done whatever, like hopefully not unique because I can't afford it you know it's you're counting down the days it's what you want to say without sounding like a bad mum I'm not wishing their life away but I am just thinking no but you know at some point they'll be gone in the future that my children I'm hoping will not live at home and it's always like Mm. quite a it hits hard when you say I don't have that and Mm. and I just think that's really important for people to be aware of like I'm working thinking you know in how old's Albert? So he's eight. So in 10 years time, in theory, he could have gone. So in 10 years time, I will have Mm. an empty nest. And the opportunities Mm. that then brings to me are different than the fact that in in five, six years time, that is going to be a very different situation for you. And you're therefore what motivates you and your motivation to working really hard now is so important to you because you won't have like in 10 years time I'll suddenly say to you hey Laura I can do an eight hour day now and you'll be like I can't <laughs> I could do an eight at the moment one. I'm struggling at probably five and a half yeah so yeah. just tell us a bit about that tell us about kind of the future and how you feel like that will look and how if at all you yeah. think your business can navigate that yeah so you know that post that goes round every summer you only have 18 <laughs> summers with your children I can't see that post that commenting on it being like, F you, that's not actually true. Yeah, so William will be in full-time education, fingers crossed, touch wood, until he's 19. 
So he's 14 now, isn't he? He's 14 now, so that's potential five years. And then he, well, he's 15 nearly, so like four years. And then potentially he could stay in education if we could find somewhere for him until he's 22. Now around here, there isn't really anywhere that he could go until he's 22, so he'd have to move away, which I'm not loving the idea of because he can't communicate. So like when your children go to university, they can tell you what's happening, anything bad that's happened. William wouldn't be able to do that. So anything could be happening and I wouldn't know. So that worries me. But then after that... At this point, when he's 22, I don't know what will happen. Will he come back and live with us full time? Probably. I just don't know. Like the future is so unclear to me and I try not to think too far ahead because it scares me. And like even just the fact of him going into like from child service into into adult services when he's 16, like that's a big enough scary thing for me to think about right now without having to worry about what's happening after that. But in terms of business, I know for a fact that he will be in education until he's 19. So that gives me roughly four years that I know that I can work as I'm working now. Yeah, I don't, I'm not able to work in school holidays, but when he's at school, hypothetically, I could work from he leave, when he leaves the house at eight o'clock until he comes home at half past four. And when he is at home, I know that that is not possible. And the, uh, the older he gets and the bigger he gets, the harder he becomes to look after. So the less time I have. So where you will have a nice empty house, I may have one that's full of a child and carers. And so, yeah, that is what drives me now to like, you know, do all the things we can to make the money that I can make now because I might not be able to make it in the future. And where some people are like, oh, I need to put money in my pension. I'm like, well, I might need it before mm. then. So like, it does worry me. And I don't think there's enough kind of education and support out there for families like mine who have these worries of, am I going to have to leave my job? Am I going to lose all my clients? Like what's going to happen at that point? Like no one talks about that. And I'm not in the right place to talk about that because I don't know what will happen. So if there is anyone out there who does know somebody who talks about this, please send them my way so I can pass them on to other people. But I just feel like there's this big gap of knowledge and this big like space of uncertainty where I don't know what will happen and if I feel like that there's bound to be other people who are like that yeah you definitely see more conversations around child like babies when babies are born with disabilities but also around kind of education special educational needs there's there's lots of conversations that you see quite you know and quite rightly about that but you're right like I certainly don't see and I you know I wouldn't really but Mm. I would definitely suggest that 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 kind of conversation certainly isn't I can't hear it I can't people like and I never I'd never really and I've worked I spent my whole career before I went self-employed working in the disability world and I hadn't really I'd understood the fact that obviously that some children their full-time education is, is going to be different and I used to work with adults with disabilities but I didn't think about the impact that would have on the families and the parents and I definitely don't think that is a a loud enough conversation that's having and well based on what you're saying it doesn't seem to be happening at all but yeah because I think I just think it's huge you imagine like we'll make it we'll make it work we'll do whatever we do if we're still going by then <laughs> I like, but like we don't, we can't even plan three months in advance. We're not going to plan what's going to well, happen in five no, years' but, time. But we'd make it work. The business may look completely different. Yeah, but we would make it work. Whereas, imagine if you're employed and don't have that. You don't have that flexibility. It's either yeah. you have a job or don't have a job, and you don't have that. Yeah. Or we'll make something out of nothing. Kind of 
hard. Yeah. Yeah. So if you are listening this to this and thinking, oh God, I'm doing this as well. Like, especially if you're in the inner hub, come into the SEN chat and let's like, let's talk about it. Cause let's see if we can find any resources that will help each other out. Yeah. A hundred percent. This scary time. So in terms of, I was <laughs> cheerful. Let's bring it up a bit. Tell me a joke. (laughs) So I think we've probably covered most of it, but I think it would be useful just to kind of highlight the the tips really that we can give people who are going through similar. Like we, like I, like I say to you a lot, Laura, we've got the chat in the inner hub, which is a kind of dedicated area just for parents of SEN children. And I can't really contribute in there, but I do read the posts and it really does hit home. some of the messages and the things that people are dealing with and on a day-to-day basis, but yet they're still managing to show up and they're still managing to build their business however they want. And I think that's where it stems our passion for helping people to succeed in their business based on how they want that success to look, not based on this six-figure shite and you've got to be... On that six-figure thing, like the one reason that it annoys me so much with this six-figure and it all being all about the money is because I've got a bank full of money all that right. I can't spend oh. Oh. to help me to have the freedom that this is my money. Like, But from the council, from direct payments, and I can't spend it to get William the care that I need. So I know that the money isn't the most important thing. Like the, being able to work and have whatever you need to be able to help your children or whatever and have the life that you need to have, that is the most important thing. Yeah, but it's about being, you know, it's all very well us saying, well, we want to have the flexibility and some people might not have to work financially, but they choose to Mm. work because it's for them. And I, like, I don't have children with disabilities, but I 100% have to work. I am someone who could not be alone with my brain without working. (laughs) Or your children. Or my children, yeah. And, you know, it's about giving people the choice, but it's not to make people feel like they've got to, that someone else has predefined what success is. It's not about that. It's about, sometimes it's about showing up and doing two power hours a month. And that to them is success because they've managed to do that. The kids are safe. The kids are happy. The kids are wherever they need to be. And they've, and it's not about the money they've made. It's just the fact that they have done something and they've used their kind of expertise and their skills to make a difference to somebody else. And I think that having that SEN parents group in the inner hub has been a real, it's just constantly an education for me. And I think everyone's having their own like journey, aren't they? They're all navigating this. And obviously mm, the children's yeah. are all going to be different and the challenges that they have, the children are having and the challenges the parents are having with you know, educational finance or whatever that may be are all going to be very different but if you could kind of summarize any tips in terms of navigating this freelance world and you've probably covered them anyway but just to summarize them to help people if they're in this situation then I think that that would go down well well first of all I would just say if you don't have a disabled child or a child with any like special education needs or autism or anything like that don't think that we're all living this negative (laughs) life like we are good we're happy we're living our lives and I think there's often like this negative kind of spin that we're all really miserable and we're really not so you know just to put that out there I don't want people thinking that the chat in there is really negative and like depressing because it's not it's not at all but obviously having a disabled child is an expensive way to live your life but yeah (laughs) so tips wise I think don't think that it that you're failing if you are having to work evenings or you know in little pieces of time that you have think of it as a success that you've been able to have a job where you can support your family or you know do whatever it is you need to do 
and spend time with your children. Like that is the success for me. The fact that I can go to all of the appointments, not that I actually want to go to them, but the fact that I can, that's the thing that's the winner. Um, the boundaries with the clients and the honesty with the clients is really, really important. And don't try and like bite off more than you can chew. Be really realistic with what you can do. Like at one point, I took on a client that was a really big earner for me. And we've spoken about this client in the past. It was a horrendous client anyway. But the fact that I was dealing with this horrendous client and everything else that was going on in my life and with William it just wasn't the right fit. Like you need to have your own realistic boundaries of what you can and can't do. Don't tell yourself, oh, this month I'm going to sell 10 power hours when actually you've only got five hours free. Yeah, understanding your, your week. capacity. Like it's, it's not realistic. Yeah, you really do need to understand your capacity. And you need to have like a plan for what if it all goes wrong? What if my child ends up in hospital or, I don't know, school's closed and I've got to be the carer that day? What what will happen then? Like, does your out of office, is it easy for, for you to turn on so that people know they're not going to get an instant reply? Does your client know that sometimes you might not respond to them straight away and that think these things can happen? Do you have other people that you can call on if you need to? If like you're, I don't know, maybe you're like managing ads or whatever and you've got ad campaigns running, but your child's rushed to hospital and you want someone to just make sure that those ads are ticking along. Have you got someone who can do that for you? You know, just having this kind of backup plan, I think, will just make you just feel much more confident to know that everything is fine. Everything will be looked after. And like I know that if William is rushed into hospital tomorrow, Yes, you might not know exactly how to log into all of the tools that we use, but you'll be able to run the business. It'll be fine. And Laura always worries about me getting hit by a bus, so I won't be taking the bus. <laughs> Although I might be safer on the bus than in front of it. But just having that kind of backup plan and the honest and open conversations and not being afraid to tell people that my life looks very different to your life. This is how my life runs, but I can still do my job. I think that's just important. Nice. I love that. Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> so... I hope that's been interesting for people. I always, I love listening to how people build their businesses around their lives. And, you know, I think you've done all right. I'm not going to give you too much credit. Yeah, if it wasn't for me. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I think uh, hopefully people have found it interesting to listen to, regardless of your own personal situation. If you've got any questions, I know you're always kind of open and honest with people all the time, Laura. So. Yeah, if you've got a disabled child, you want to talk any of this stuff through, feel free to drop into my DMs. I'm on Instagram as at the underscore Laura Moore. Um, so yeah, feel free to drop me a DM. You can reach her at the two Lauras as well. It's yeah. fine. Yeah, we totally do fine. Look there. And you can obviously, as we mentioned right at the start, you, we have that Facebook group that you're more than welcome to come and talk about the practicalities of being a freelancer with a child who has kind of special educational needs or disabilities. And that's the socialmediamanagershub.com. Yeah. We'll Ta-ra! Oh, and we'll be back next time, next week, with maybe a bit more cheery. Yes. Podcast. I don't think that was I don't think it was. Alrighty. I don't think it was. Anyway, let us know. Okay, good. All right. All right. All right. Bye. Au revoir.